0: www.aboutsexpodcast.com or you can actually find me as a therapist at www.therapistandstlouis.com. So I have been doing more episodes that are just me giving some information and today's information is about how to keep your sex life strong in the long term. All right. Now, before we get into this next conversation, I just want to stop to give us a word from our new sponsors. So I am now working with a really cool company called Let's Get Checked. You can find them at trilgc.com slash stay kinky. What's really cool about this company actually is that they're doing testosterone testing for men and hormone checks for men and women. A lot of people are struggling with hormonal imbalances and reduced testosterone levels, which really can impact your sex life. And so more and more men and women are trying to test their hormone levels to see how they're doing. One in four men over 30 are actually low in testosterone. Symptoms you might want to look at include fatigue, erectile dysfunction, low sex drive, anxiety, brain fog, even having a hard time making decisions, which is basically most of my client population. (laughs) Just teasing. But I mean, enough of you who come see me are actually really struggling with testosterone levels in your sex drive. So what's cool about this group is you can pick from either a male hormone test kit, a female hormone test kit, or an STD test kit. And what's really cool is they send it right to you in your home. You do what you need to do to take the test. And depending on what test you use, you'll either have to do a blood sample or a blood sample, anaerobic sample. And then you send it back and everything's completely confidential. And basically, they deliver to your home, they collect your sample, they review your results for you. So depending on what happens with your test, they may provide a prescription. In some cases, usually it would only be for something like if they're treating STDs. If you do end up having something longer term like hormone therapy, then you'll likely be referred to a longer term provider. But at least you'll know where you stand. So it's really cool. Your results are available and they'll be reviewed by a physician. And then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. The Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and everything is completely anonymous. So again, that website is trylgc.com slash stay kinky and use the coupon code stay kinky to get 20% off. So I talked to a lot of people on this show about sex and different topics around sex, but I think the big one that a lot of you want to know about is what do we do about desire? Um, One of the most common issues couples come in to see me for is low desire, low libido, struggling to still feel that energy and excitement around sexuality with being with one partner for the long haul. And there's some challenges to that, to be fair. So, most couples will have a great experience or a mostly good sexual experience from about the six months to two years, the first six months to two years of a relationship. But let's talk about why that's an easier experience. One, everything's new. Two, you're getting those adrenaline love rushes uh, from meeting somebody new, falling in love, getting excited. Um, if we think of love as an anxiety, you have this fear: does this person want me? Does this person not want me? And when you feel accepted, suddenly there's this rush of adrenaline and excitement of oh, they do want me. Do you want me back? So there's this back and forth and like just endorphins are popping. You've got oxytocin flowing. So crazy fun. And it's just easier. All that newness and excitement and adrenaline just gets everybody pumping. And so, yeah, it is easier to have sex. Sex flows easy. You don't even have to talk about it as much. But that is one of the key problems for the long term. So let's talk about right after that honeymoon period what most couples don't realize is that you actually have to put effort into your sex life after the honeymoon phase. And that effort is two ways. So both parties have to start thinking about what, what do I need to keep this strong going forward? And, um, this is where communication really is key. So the interesting thing about that honeymoon phase is couples who develop a great communication around sexuality up front tend to do better in the long haul than the ones who don't. Because it yes, it is easy in the beginning, but after a while, there has to be more effort and thought put into how do we create this spark or chemistry between us. So that's something else I want to talk about, like that spark and chemistry, There are quite a few people who live their lives thinking, I will have sex when I feel like it. But if you know anything about feelings, feelings come and go. Think of one day in your life and how many feelings you experienced throughout that day. You probably have a time when you get irritated, specifically when you're driving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just to be fair, most people will have a little annoyance when they drive into work or although to also to be fair, it's the pandemic. I don't know if that many people have been driving as much, but you remember, you remember those days. So in one day you'll have some anger, or irritation. You'll maybe feel sad or disappointed because something didn't go your way. Maybe you'll feel excited because a new show that you love is coming up or a new movie or, or you're going to see your partner soon. Um, Maybe you'll feel a a level of desire if you think about something sexual, but maybe you won't. And so the problem with waiting for a feeling when it comes to sex is that you have a lot going on in your day. And a whole day really could pass where if you're not engaged in some sort of sexual interaction or sexual thought process, you won't feel the desire feeling, which desire is a feeling. It's a feeling associated with interacting with sexual contact um, and sexual content. So what I need my couples to do to get better at this is learn how to be more intentional about their eroticism. Now, uh, Metson McCarthy has this great uh, good enough sex model that has basically 12 principles for healthy sexuality. And the first principle states that eroticism is an intentional feature and it's the responsibility of each partner. So basically what that means is, one, you have to figure out what is erotic? What is erotic to me? What do I find sexy and interesting and fun? What do I do if I'm not feeling erotic at all? What are things that help me put my brain in that space? And if as you listen to me, you'll notice that the first thing is really just mentally putting your head in the game of how do I become sexual or more desirable or feel more desirable in this moment? so if you think about this in terms of happiness too, right? Like, so you can also do things like this to become more happy. And I think the world does explore, how do I become a happier person? How do I get lost in joy? Well, maybe it's you play more, maybe it's you do less at work and more things with people you love, but like there are intentional activities people are striving to do, like exercise or self-care to create happiness. So It always confuses me why people don't see desire the same way, which is also a feeling that you have to engage in activities or thoughts around sexuality to feel sexy and desirable. And so that's one piece of eroticism. And a principle I want all of you to hear from me is that desire comes from within. You cannot draw desire out of somebody who doesn't experience the desire from within. And what that means is if you don't give yourself permission to be a sexual person, to think sexual thoughts, to feel sexual feelings and get lost in your own interests, then you cannot have a partner suddenly create those within you because you are blocking it. If you think about it like, okay, I don't think a sexual thought ever. I never allow myself to go to this space. You're essentially blocking sexuality in your life. So a partner trying to elicit desire from you is just not going to happen. And that's why sometimes couples will come to me and it'll be a female usually, but not always. Males have this too, where she's like, I just don't feel sexual at all. And she's still just waiting and waiting for sexual feelings to show up somehow. And I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way. So you have to do things intentionally, You put your brain in that space. And here's the other thing. So we're going to talk a lot about women today. One of the challenges for women and their sexuality is that we feel like the only examples we have of sexuality often are porn, TV, and what we think our men want. And so as a result, a lot of women haven't taken time to explore, what what do I want just for me? Like, what are the things that I find erotic and desirable? And since the examples that they see in the media just don't fit for them, it feels foreign. It feels like, that's not me. I'm not that kind of sexual person. I'm not like that. I do not feel this energy or an excitement like this. And so they feel like something is wrong with them. And that's just not the case. There's nothing wrong with you. Like when I sit with women on the couch, as of course I'm a therapist, so I've got a couch, who doesn't, right? (laughs) That's how I started the business is one couch. But when I have a woman on my couch talking about that, I try to get her to think about like just basic things that help her get into that space. A question asked is, what do I need to do to go from a no to a maybe? And that that's actually the key question for females, because I think women are trying to pressure themselves into going from no to a yes, or going th- from no to a like, I want this so much. And that's just... That's just not how it's going to work for somebody who's been struggling with desire. But you can go from a no to a maybe. And here are what other women have said to me that helped them get there. A warm bubble bath. (laughs) That's one. Um, Having a a slow and relaxed conversation with their partner without any kids around. That's another. Um, Having alone time. (laughs) That's another. (laughs) Going on a date where they actually dressed up, but not for their partner, for themselves. To make themselves feel good and to feel good in their skin. Those are some. Having touch and affection with their partner that isn't necessarily leading to sex. That's another. So what's interesting about all of these is they're not pornographic (laughs) at all. (laughs) They're very basic. And if you notice, a lot of them are relationship focused first. Now, please understand I'm doing a a layering effect here. The first layer for most females is how do I relax and slow down in some way that helps me open my mind up to the possibility. So again, it's not a no to a yes, it's a no to a maybe. So that actually is stage one for most people is how do you create settings and environments on a regular basis where you're not in a hard no constantly? But maybe, maybe, maybe if things kind of move to that next level, I can get there. And I don't want to say this is all just for women. I mean, I think men have this experience too. Men have stressful jobs sometimes or, you know, if, they're, if you're busy constantly doing things, it can be hard to shift gears if you don't have a space created in your routine to just slow down, relax together, maybe. Actually, me and my own partner have started calling it reconnect time, like having a night which is just about us reconnecting. We're not necessarily saying we're going to have sex, which, you know, hopefully that is the goal. But in in the end, if we just reconnect, if we talk, if we feel close again and feel that intimacy and slowness, that that is a step in that direction. Then beyond your maybes, like getting to that maybe space is, all right, well, what beyond this actually sometimes can help trigger a little bit of eroticism in me. And it could be in a way that you flirt with your partner. It could be in a watching a sexy movie or reading a sexy book. I actually know of couples that just talk about sex and sexy things with each other just to spark their brains in that unique, fun way. Some couples will sext or text each other, but these are all examples of things that people do actually do in their bedrooms to start creating that energy and heat around sex. I really like calling it heat because what we're trying to do here is simmer, create warmth between the two of you so that you actually feel like you want to have sex with each other. But you have to start with warmth before you're going to get to the heat of sex, and so that those, these are all things that help people be intentional with their eroticism. And you kind of have to understand each other's needs. Then beyond that, things that help are for couples to flirt. I want to talk a little bit more about flirting and how important it is to your sex life. So I recently read this article, um, and it basically said that the difference—so for people who are single, the difference between people who want to be single and don't want to be single are their flirting abilities— Let's break that down. So the article essentially said people who are involuntarily single, so they don't want to be single, often have deficits, deficits in the area of flirting. And that is one of the hugest contributors to them being involuntarily single. It's not looks. It's not prowess or your pheromones. But it's your ability to flirt and essentially woo or court another person. Your ability to take risks and have a little fun. And I thought that was really funny because when I work with couples who've been together for a really long time, married or just in long-term relationships, that ends up being one of the first skills I have to teach a couple that's been together for a while. Because we get this idea essentially that, well, I already have them. I don't have to, like, why do I have to do this work or what's the effort? Like, I don't think people are aware that flirting is a part of the effort, but it is. It's not sexy to just say, hey, do you want to have sex tonight? <laughs> There's no flirting involved in that. It's boring. And after a while, when somebody says that, your first thought becomes, no, I don't want to. <laughs> Leave me alone. I need sleep. <laughs> Just a side note, I want you all to know that once people hit their 30s, I've noticed a tipping scale between sex and sleep that quite a few people are choosing sleep over sex. So another thing that just could help on the side is try to have sex earlier in the night or in the afternoon. Because I'm telling you, it's funny. Maybe this is the pandemic speaking, but I've heard more and more people in the 30 range and above basically saying, yep, I'd rather get a sleep, (laughs) good night's sleep than have sex. So, if that's part of what's stopping you, please just have sex earlier in the day. But, anyhow, let me track back. Flirting is one of the key skills for long term chemistry and success when it comes to desire. And again, you don't have to flirt in a perfect way, you can have your own flirting style, but Flirting essentially is an attempt at being playful, sexy, assertive, and it's your ability to grow in that that helps with sexuality. And flirting can include the way you talk to each other. It can include how you show affection and um and it even includes how you initiate sex or try to initiate stuff, you know, like and we we all need to learn it somewhere. So one of the things that I do have to work on with my clients is teaching them essentially how to flirt in a more fun and playful way. And there's two flirting styles that I really try to get people thinking about. One of the flirting styles is your playful flirtatious, so that's the innuendo style where you're like, mm, "I'll top your taco," or I don't know anything of those lines. <laughs> Although I've been, I've been actually really enjoying seeing uh, the playful flirtatious side of geeking out. So anybody who has kind of geeky fun interests, I'm definitely seeing people use that as a means to flirt with each other. Um. So, for example, even me and my partner, we recently had a flirtation with one another that was so fun where we were, we were geeking out actually a little bit about overthinking because we both are overthinkers. And so we were packing for our house and he said, I have a fun way for us to overthink with each other. And he's like, will you join me? And I said, of course, of course, I will join you. He said, I would like to color coordinate our boxes. I think it would be fun for each floor to have a specific color so that when the movers come in, it's a nice flow and they go where they need to go. Like Each floor is at is color coordinated and he said one thing that'd be really cool is if you came up with an over convoluted reason for why we need to use which color for what and i was like this sounds great. And it was a little sexy too. To me, this was flirting, right? Because it's our way of geeking out, is overthinking. So I came back to him with, all right, we're going to pick red for the top floor because it's going to be the hottest color and the hottest color is close to the sun. And we'll pick green as the lowest floor because green is closest to the ground. And when I explained this to him, he was like, God, that's so hot. (laughs) So this is an example. I want to show this example of flirting because I I do want people to realize that there are multiple ways to flirt. There are a lot of fun ways to flirt. You do not have to look like Hollywood or Debonair or even even like Gomez Adams who is one of my favorite flirters to watch in a movie. But you do have to develop your own kind of style around flirting, your own style of taking risks and your own style of going for it. And when couples learn to play with flirtation more frequently then they have a lot more fun. So another style of flirting is actually uh, more assertive and more direct. Okay. So, you know, we all, I think a lot of people can play with the goofy, playful style and it is very fun. Don't get me wrong. I love that flirting style. But one that I think a lot of my clients can work on that is just, I mean, it's just really hot <laughs> is assertiveness. Going for it kind of, basically it's, um, you dangle a central idea in a very assertive way, but you're not you're not playing. You're you're real. You're for real. But then if they're not okay with it, then it's fine. You know, like so I'm trying to give a good example of this. But so basically if somebody starts playful, for example, like, hey, I'll top your taco, if you go for a little more assertive, it's like, do it now. So you just it's very direct, it's very assertive, but it's like a challenge. That, that'd that be a good way of putting it. It's you challenge somebody, do it. What are you going to do? And there's something exciting about when somebody can be very direct about what they want, but then you kind of dangle it a little bit. And so part of that is like if somebody meets you with that then you trying to find a way to amp it up too. So like another piece of this flirtation stuff that people need to kind of learn to do is when somebody flirts with you, how do you take it up a notch? How do you but not so much of a notch that you literally go all the way to the moon, right? So this is an area of struggle for a lot of my clients actually is that they'll do a flirtation and somebody will do a a little dangle, like a slight flirtation, but then the next person is already ready to. That's it. Let's go to the bedroom. <laughs> it's like, wait, no, no, we were building, we were growing here, <laughs> and so, like, we'll do it. What are you gonna do? That's sexy. It's it's a challenge, but it's giving somebody a chance to come back, and they can even go back with. Well, what do you want to do? I mean, I'm down for whatever. Let's go. You know, like it can be fun. Um, or it can be kind of a, a suggestion or a suggestive sort of, well maybe later we can. But again, it's it's very assertive and it's direct. It's not it's not beating around the bush, but it is trying to build a bit of anticipation and connection. And what I found for couples is that the best flirters have an ability to weave in and out of these two styles, the playful, flirtatious and the very assertive, direct, more challenging style. And there's definitely a like a back and forth, like a bob. The best way I can think about it is bob and weaving. Like if you were thinking of a kickboxing this is so funny I haven't done a kickboxing class in like 10 years but I remember Bob and Weave Bob and Weave um, and so the flow of good flirting is a little bit in a little bit out a little bit of push a little bit of pull and and so that like it doesn't feel like it's going straight for the gut you're not trying to push or punch somebody right in their stomach but you're trying to just build a little bit of play and so you can weave into being assertive but weave out into more playful I was just kidding oh but I am but not really I'm not kidding but I am you know <laughs> And it's so funny, but like that back and forth, it's hot. It's a turn on and people love it. And when they get good at it and try it, they love it too. Now, here's the other deal. So I'm telling you, ah, I need you to try and flirt. Here's the issue. I need both of you to do it. (laughs) So one of the challenges some of my couples face is that only one person will be putting the effort into the flirting and either the other person is awkward, they don't notice it's a flirtation or they're just not engaging, they're rejecting, rejecting intentionally or unintentionally. These are the hard things. So for flirting to really be fun, you have to think about it as both of you are coming up with ideas from your own desire, desire bank. I want to call it like a spank bank, but it's like, no, it's a desire bank. You need to build up your own desire bank of these are the things I'm interested in. These are the things that I think about that put me in this space. So funny. I didn't even have these metaphors before I talked about this, so <laughs> we'll see how this goes. But so... Once you have your own bank of like little ways to be playful and, and, and engage, then you need two partners who are willing to give back and forth. And so when their partner, one partner puts something out there, you have to engage and try to see how do I, how do I amplify this on my side and not too high, just a little bit more. And then same like couples who do this well have a great way of going back and forth. And that's that's really what you need to learn to do. <laughs> now, if I could just get two, cu- two people in every couple doing this, then it becomes more fun. However, by the time people are seeing me, they're not great at this and they're struggling and they felt rejected a lot. So one of the strategies I also encourage couples to take is give people a chance, right? So None of us are great flirters to start. We all have to learn. And so if you set the expectations too high for your partner that it has to be perfect or you're just going to be like, ugh, don't do that, I don't like that, then nobody's going to grow as a flirter or And you're not going to grow in creating that eroticism between each other. So give each other credit. It might look like smiling and, and laughing a little with them. It might just look like being taking a risk and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, but it just feels strange sometimes. I'll work on it, though. I'm going to work on getting into flirting, too. But it's both parties taking a chance, challenging themselves to be vulnerable, and trying and then like encouraging trying along the way. So even if a flirt doesn't land perfectly, encouraging your partner by saying, "Hey, I see I see what you're trying to do that. That's cool. I see what you're trying to do. Let's 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 keep moving it. Uh, going forward, I might like it a little more like this, <laughs> but I I can tell. I can tell you're trying to be playful." So it's even that like that's giving people a little grace, right? Like if you really want to get better at these things in your life, you need to give each other grace. <laughs> Because nobody's going to be perfect at it at first. But if every time somebody makes a mistake, you criticize them. Like there's a lot of sexual criticism I deal with in my therapy that is just hard for people. So if if that's what you're going through or if that's what you're giving to your partner, they're not going to get better. They're just going to stop trying because that's, that's how people respond to criticism. And so... Um, and if you heard me a second ago, I was giving feedback, not criticism. So like feedback is, Hey, that's cool. I see what you were doing there. Let's just for future. I like it even a little more like this. So you're still giving credit and encouragement, but you're just like honing it in a different direction. But if it's criticism, it sounds more like, why are you doing that? No, don't like that. No, don't do that. What? That's wrong. Like, ugh or like any of those. (laughs) That's that disgust sound I'm making, but like all of those are just very critical and it makes it hard for people to grow as sexual people together. (sighs) I probably could talk for hours, but I need to uh, turn this show around and get towards the end. So anyhow, for any of you, uh, if you're interested in sending any questions or comments on this, or if you just have you need help with desire, please contact me. I'm uh, www.therapistinsaintlouis.com. And of course, you can watch the show at www.aboutsexpodcast.com. Thank you all for listening in and stay kinky St. Louis.